Hello, everyone. Welcome to a very special edition of the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. Uh, this is probably, what, 16, 17 months in the making. Uh, I have not seen this lovely man in person <laughs> for that time. My life has been very deprived since then. Uh, I almost kissed him on the lips when I saw him. I've missed him so much. But it's good to be back in the saddle with my amazing co-host and friend, Christian. Um, how have you been the past 18 months? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. Your, um, your greeting touches me, shocks me, mm-hmm. all of that. All that stuff, but sensory overload. It's overwhelming, (laughs) but uh, yeah, I'm doing really good. It's great to be in this brand new studio today. This is our first ever recording in this brand new, beautiful studio, and we're super, super happy to be here. Awesome crew, awesome place. It's it's new beginnings, new amazing crew. Same same tired faces that will be still hosting the podcast, unfortunately, Uh, but amazing new beginnings nonetheless. Um, And other than thinking about these amazing new beginnings, who is our guest today? Yes, well, we have none other than Kevin McGee, who is the Chief Security Officer of Microsoft Canada, a company you may or may not have heard of. If you haven't heard of it, you're likely not listening to this podcast, but uh, we're looking forward to having Kevin on the show momentarily. Uh, We will take a pause and we'll have him. I'm sure we'll be in an amazing combo with him. Let's do it. Kevin McGee from Brantford, Ontario, home of Kevin McGee and Wayne Gretzky initially. Welcome to the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. Thank you. So good to have you. So you are a Microsoft Chief Security Officer. How does one get into that role and what has been your career path to get there? Where did it all start? Yeah, so just to clarify, Chief Security Officer for Microsoft Canada, not for Microsoft globally. Correct. Um, And uh, like all, uh, I guess, um, uh, security professionals, um, you know, all the great ones, Jack Ryan, um, Indiana Jones and whatnot, I started uh, with a history degree and uh, fell in love with uh, computers and the internet uh, in university. And that was sort of the dawn of of the, the connected age. And I got to experience uh, that from day one um, as a student and participate in that sort of uh, initial hacker culture, the online culture, um, before there was a web, before there was a real internet. And uh, it just became my career. And uh, I can't say I ever really uh, designed uh, to go into that as a, a career. But, um, you know, the hacker mentality back in, in my day was all about looking at things, figuring out how to make them better, but also figure out how to break them and take them apart. And I guess I excelled more about the break and take apart than put together. And that's always where I sort of naturally gravitated to, uh, to the security aspects of the business. So I credit having that humanities background, that understanding of, uh, of history, of, uh, to be able to apply an understanding of geopolitics, to create a hypothesis, to do research, to understand the human, uh, humanity sides of um of uh, how people function on the internet as uh, one of my sort of main um, main factors that, that have uh, been a part of my success in the security career and non-traditional path for sure. But uh, I think uh, I like to think some of the best hackers had a non-traditional path. First off, Kevin, I, I absolutely love yeah. how you name drop uh, Jack Ryan there. A- a- any Tom Clancy <laughs> fan is a, is, is, a, is a friend of mine. So uh, I think I even like you even, even more now. I'm not even sure if that, w- that was possible, but uh, we'll have to have a separate conversation about the Jack Ryan series. But um, to, talking about the from a career path perspective, um, you know when when you fast forward to today, you know there's still uh, that mentality that a lot of people think to be in cybersecurity, you have to have a STEM background or you have to have a computer science degree or you have to be a, a techie. You know, and, and, and you mentioned there, right? Even from yourself, you got a non traditional uh, background. 
what can we do in the field to make sure that we are actively encouraging more, you know, lack of, again, lack of a better term, non-traditionalists to come into the field and to feel included and, and to grow into cybersecurity careers? What can we do to, to make that happen more frequently? I think we're trying to professionalize um, cybersecurity and we're trying to make us into like accountants or something like that, um, which we're not um, by nature. We are creative, um, uh, a creative group of folks. And if you think about the original hackers building things in the garage and whatnot, they came from all walks of life. What, what brought them together was curiosity. What brought them together was passion for technology, for solving problems. So those are the key, I guess, aspects that make a great cybersecurity professional. And that doesn't mean that you're a math um, background or, or, um, or a history background or an English background. It, it's, I think, those key attributes of the person. So looking at those first um, and then not getting uh, into this, um, this loop where we have to have a full team of uh, cybersecurity professionals from the best university with computer science degrees. I often ask um, uh, CEOs, CFOs, C, uh, CISOs, what's your biggest concern? It's ransomware. Who's on your security team? A bunch of computer science folks. Well, you know, do you think that computer science degrees and STEM folks are really the best people to protect your organization from fraud, from criminal intent, from nation state threat actors? What if you supplemented that with a criminologist? What if you supplemented that with um, a former police officer or someone who could really sort of get into the mindset of the attacker and understand the inbound threats? Um, The diversity of thought and diversity of backgrounds and diversity of education is not a checkbox exercise. It is a strength. The more diversity you have on your team, the better you are uh, prepared, I guess, to uh, to repel some of these attacks. Um, and and uh, that's really how we should start to think about hiring. Not, is this person a fit for my team? But what can this person add to my team uh, is really what drives my hiring decisions in, in every interview that I'm in. Uh, what, what a great mini lesson there in, in, in culture building and in, in culture enhancement for an organization. Um, I, I want to pull out um, one of the words that you mentioned there and maybe dive into that a bit deeper. Uh, ransomware. Uh, you know, when what we see, uh, especially with Canadian small and mid-sized organizations, is ransomware is just running amok uh, in, in that landscape right now. Um, from your perspective, what can Canadian small and mid-sized organizations do? And again, you know, talking exclusively to you know the business owners, the executives of these small and mid-sized organizations, right. if they're not worried about ransomware uh, right now, a should they should they be, and b what sh- steps should they be taking to make sure that they're protecting their organization? Right, and if. I think it's changing what you think ransomware is. If you're a small business person or an executive, it's not a technical attack. It's a it's a business model. It's an industry. Um, there are whole um, startups out there that are running criminal enterprises, building uh, tools to sell to an ecosystem of ransomware um, cyber criminals. Um, your your adversary is probably located in a strip mall uh, outside of some major city where they have cubicles and they have individuals sitting in the cubicles that have quotas. Um, they're using growth hacking uh, strategies just like startups do or just like small businesses do. Um, it is an entire industry that is focused on relieving you of your money. Um, you need to start thinking about it from a business perspective um, and how do we protect ourselves from a business perspective and how do we set up um, resilience throughout our business 
not just technical um, defenses. Because if we, we look at just technical defenses, again, that's only one vector. Um, that opens the door for all of the human factors, phishing, uh, a phone call where they talk you into transferring money and whatnot. Um, the innovation that's happening in the cyber criminal uh, world is mimicking the innovation happening in the startup world and often learning from the startup world as well. They have the same tools available to any other business person or startup, and they have the same drive and innovation um, that is, is powering most of uh, the, the best companies as well too. So rethinking who your adversary is, um, it's, it's a business threat, it's not a technology threat, but not also not giving them too much credit as well. You're not facing Neo from the matrix. It's literally probably some 20 year old in a cube uh, with a quota and their job is to, to extract some money from you. Uh, that's what they're getting paid and that's what they're getting measured on. How do we defend ourselves from that threat? Because that's ultimately the real threat of ransomware. Yeah, um, and I know I'm hogging on with that's one more quick question yeah. <laughs> on that. Um, one more. One more, one, one more. more. <laughs> and then I've reached my quota. Um, you're talking again about how um, you know the, the criminals are working together um, they are actually enhancing each other's capabilities How, why are we still from a you know good person side perspective even if a, a small business gets hit by a data breach many of them will just cover it up they won't share with their peers or with other similar organizations and say here's what happened to us here's how you can make sure this doesn't happen to you how do we make sure and we move in the direction where organizations or quote unquote good organizations especially among the smb communities how do we make sure that they start working together rather than just acting independently and not helping each other in the face of something like ransomware? Yeah, I think it's um, it's the shame culture. So when I talk to a business owner or a CEO and they say, you know, what can I do to improve my security posture um, I, or, or culture? Um, or how do I know when I have a good security culture? The litmus test for me is um, I say to the, uh, the business owner or CEO, if someone in your organization clicks on something, ransomware appears on the screen, there's going to be a moment of panic. What happens the moment after? Do they feel they can raise their hand and say, I made a mistake, I need help, and they'll get the help, and the organization has a plan, the organization will rally behind them, or will they know that there's going to be retribution, potentially get fired? In that moment, that second moment, you understand your security culture. So creating that overall security culture that the user's not at fault. There's no other organization in the world or, or other situation in the world where we blame the user. If you think about driving your car down the road, if you're on a mountaintop, there's a guardrail so that you don't go over the edge. We assume that we're going to put protections in place for the user. We put railings on stairs. Yeah. Uh, we put all sorts of um, <clears throat> uh, features into physical aspects. And we never blame the user because they fall on down the stairs. We have to have a handrail there. So why in our in the technology space do we blame the user for clicking on something? Do we not take responsibility uh, for, as the the business owners, as you know, the the government, um, as the vendors for taking the onus off of the user and making sure that we're building uh, a secure environment? Um, for that user. So that's empathy, that's digital empathy, putting the user um, as the priority as, a, as opposed to blaming them when something goes wrong. And when we start to do that, it starts to take away the shame culture. And I think that trickles back up through the organization that it's okay. Uh, it's okay to say, 
we need help. It's okay to say something went wrong and it's okay to share our experiences. And it's very empowering when you have someone who was hit by ransomware and they share what it did to their business, how they felt, um, the panic that they went through, the violation they felt um, of their uh, their business or their personal life if it was impactful uh, to their own systems and whatnot. And we need to do much more of that. Um, and again, it's it's a people aspect of the um, of the industry. It's not really a technology challenge that we need to overcome here. Oh, that was well, a terrible answer. <laughs> So Kevin, thank you. Switching from the internal to the external now to more mm -hmm. the customer client stakeholder, external stakeholder uh, facing. Um, when you're looking at why cybersecurity matters, uh, taking it from the angle of digital trust and being stewards of trust, why do cybersecurity practitioners do what they do from a trust perspective? Uh, and, and why is it important for a, a small, medium-sized organization um, to think about cybersecurity from a, from a trust perspective? When we think back, small businesses, maybe 20, 30 years ago, it was all about trust. I grew up in a small town, um, Brantford, home of Wayne Gretzky. You mentioned, thanks for the plug. Um, you know, we, we knew all the local business owners. We, we knew... Um, in our, in our neighborhood, you know, we didn't just walk into a nameless store um, and, and, um, and buy from them. We knew them as individuals. Now we've gone to a world where we do have bigger brands. So now you're interacting with a brand as opposed to an individual who owns the store and whatnot. The same functions apply. I have to have trust. I have to, um, I have, to have that same feeling um, that I want to continue to purchase. I continue to want to do business with that brand as I did with that person. So how do you emulate that as a brand, I think is really key. And you lose that trust you lose your community. Um, so that's really what's at stake uh, for brands. So becoming a resilient business really is the key. Um, if you look at the, uh, the large organizations or the large companies that have been hit by these ransomware attacks or cyber attacks, it is often their brand that sustained them through the attack. Um, yes, they made a mistake. Yes, they were attacked, but they had a strong brand. Their customers trusted them and they knew that they would do right mm -hmm. by them. Um, if they had a weak brand and they had a weak level of trust with their community or not deep ties with their community, um, they often fail. So I think the same thing applies to 30 years ago to the solopreneur or the individual running a business as brands today. You need to build trust. You need to build credibility. It's something that's easily lost, but ultimately it is the best defense in terms of resilience that will let you weather the storm of one of these major attacks. And without it, um, it could be an existential threat uh, to your, your business and your organization. Uh, so trust really equals brand um, in, in my mind anyways. Trust equals brand. Like it. Kevin, you're just throwing out so many uh, golden nuggets here of, of, of wisdom. You know, this is, I feel like we're in a mini ma master class here, which is, which is very uh, um, interesting. Plus, plus the room rating, I give you a 10 out of 10 with the retro falling in the background. It's absolutely <laughs> fantastic. One of the things which I, I, I wanted to ask as well is when we're thinking about, um, and maybe this is for large organizations as well, at the board level, you know, that from a, a level of awareness when it comes to cybersecurity, do you do you feel that there's still board directors that view cybersecurity as a necessary evil or something which they're just trying to minimize cost? Do we have enough awareness at the board level of cybersecurity being seen as a true risk or is it still being seen as an IT issue? 
I think most people get this question wrong, uh, how they answer. Um, we talk about, you know, the ones that don't get it or, or do get it. It's the wrong approach. And I've been on both sides. Um, so I, as uh, you know, I'm very involved in, um, in educating boards with cyber risk. Um, I'm an ICDD. Um, I joined a board, felt I didn't know enough about governance. So really uh, doubled down on my education with governments and, um, and qualified for my ICDD certification. And so I've spent time really understanding the governance aspect, but I also understand the cybersecurity aspect. What the epiphany moment for me was in an audit committee, and it was on the, the board of um, hospital board, and we were in an audit committee meeting, and we were talking about the, um, the current ratio, and there seemed to be some concern, and I was the only non-accountant in the room, and I finally put up my hand and I said, is the number supposed to be bigger or smaller? It's been 27 years since I took financial accounting and I just don't know. And in that moment, it really made realized they were all experts. They just assumed that I understood what they did. So I felt very uncomfortable and spent meeting after meeting, not fully understanding what I was ingesting, making decisions and giving my opinion or voting on things I didn't fully understand because I felt uncomfortable asking the question that I didn't know or didn't understand. So applying empathy, I thought, what about all those accountants or lawyers that are in the room when I'm talking to the CISO or I'm talking to the CIO about technology, are they feeling the same thing? Do they feel uncomfortable or don't wanna look dumb in front of their peers uh, by putting up their hand and asking that question? So really often it's just, again, human nature that's driving that. Do most board members understand they need to know that? Yes, they do. Um, it's these little subtle, um, subtle challenges that we have as individuals that are holding us back. Again, culture, it comes down to culture. The board chair can change that by saying, let's have a one-on-one session. Let's bring in some expert, let's go through, let's create an environment where everyone on the board can raise their hand and ask a question. And there are no dumb questions. Um, if you have that culture, you will make great decisions. You will ask the right questions. You will feel empowered. Um, if you're scared to raise your hand, um, you won't. And the best uh, example of how to really overcome that, I talked to the head of um, uh, security awareness for the Bank of England. Um, his name's John, I can't remember John's last name. My apologies, John, if you're watching. Um, but he has lords on his board. And um, they you know, felt very uncomfortable again. They're, they're used to being you know, yeah. um, really in, in, in power and authoritative and whatnot in, in how they speak about what they're, they're and CEOs and, and other uh, folks on boards are like that as well. So how did we overcome that? Well, what he did was schedule individual um, training sessions with each board member, go to their home, go to their office, wherever they felt comfortable, one-on-one -on -one in their environment where they could ask all the questions they wanted and they could not feel like they were going to ask a dumb question in front of their peers, dramatically changed his culture. Uh, so the Bank of England can do that you know, with your perception of what a stuffy board might look like, and they can be forward thinking and they can solve that challenge. Every other board out there too. Uh, again, it comes down to culture in my mind. What, what an amazing lesson in, in empathetic leadership there, Kevin. Yeah. That, 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 that's brilliant. I, um, I do have one more quick question. We're ah. just running out of time here. So let's cram in maybe a quick answer. Um, so we're doing an event next week for technology startups. And I, I, 
understand that you also do advisory for technology startups. What does that look like? Are you just advising on cybersecurity or, or how does that play out? Well, every startup has the same challenges, whether they're cybersecurity or not, especially startups in Canada. Um, how do we grow a big business and how do we, um, we really um, uh, achieve hyper growth? from a Canadian perspective without having uh, to relocate to the US or without having to grant funding for the US. So again, there's no specific need that's different. Most of the time they've nailed the technology. Um, so I work with um, um, the Roger Catalyst at Ryerson University, um, Waterloo's uh, Velocity, a few of the other universities. They're all the same. It's, it's all really, we have a great technology. How do we seek product market fit? How do we uh, seek um, uh, revenue growth? Um, how do we build a sales strike? Well, how do we price our, our new thing, whatever it is? These are business challenges. And when we talk about the skills gap, we, it, going back to one of your earlier questions about you know, people coming into the, uh, the industry, again, we, we take a whole bunch of technologists and we're, we're asking them to run companies and they don't have necessarily those skills. They don't have those backgrounds. They don't have a sales uh, leader. They don't have um, an, a, a hyper growth strategy for revenue. They don't know how to achieve product market fit. They don't know, they've never read the lean startup. Um, they, it's not their background, right? So uh, I think the real skills gap is not technical people. Uh, we are graduating thousands of brilliant young students for technology, yet jobs go unfilled. We have incredible startups in Canada with incredible technology that can't get enough sales to break into the U.S. market or whatnot. The leadership gap in cybersecurity for small business, for openings of roles, for all areas is leadership. We are not training technical folks to be technical leaders. And taking a non-technical person and having them lead technical folks doesn't always work as well, too. So that's the gap. That's why roles are going unfilled because we don't have someone that can, can really figure out how to put the right people in those roles. That's why our cybersecurity startups aren't scaling because we don't have technically trained leaders uh, that really know how to run um, technical teams or technical businesses. And we're only just starting with a lot of the university programs now to train those individuals for those roles. And it's going to take maybe another generation to really build the capacity, but we need to start investing now and very heavily now to really overcome both of those challenges. I said earlier, I'll say it again, Christian and I are just blown away by how engaging this conversation has been, the level of wisdom you've imparted on us. And I know the viewers and listeners are just going to be blown away with by this episode. We're, we're very, very grateful for for your time today. That was a fantastic conversation. Or to use an old sports analogy, you, you hit it out of the park there. <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me, and, and uh, wonderful to see both of you and together as well. That's fantastic. <laughs> it's an honor. Yes, thank you again, Kevin. We really appreciate it. And Chris and I will be right back to wrap up today's episode. Uh, that was a fantastic conversation. Kevin is one of the most interesting professionals in cybersecurity. I find him to be such an eloquent speaker, speaks in a level that anyone can understand him. Plus, he's just so darn endearing. And down to earth. Down to earth. Uh, he lives in the hometown of Wayne Gretzky. What's not to love about the guy? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was amazing. The two, two words really stood out to me is uh, trust and resilience. So the idea of how trust relates to your brand. Your brand is nothing if you don't have trust. And then the focus on resilience. It's not just having some technology in place that's going to protect your company. You're going to have to have company-wide resilience. And really what that looks like is in the areas of people, 
with awareness training, good po- uh, processes and policies, and technology as well. Absolutely. And again, there were so many golden gems that Kevin uh, dropped in, the, in, the, in that episode. It was almost like a mini masterclass of, oh, of, of, of sorts. Loved it. Um, so, you know, for, for me, again, I, I just really loved how he, again, he delivered the wording in such a concise fashion yes. that was just very relatable to, to, to everyone. And we're, we're very grateful for Kevin carving time out of what I'm sure is an incredibly busy schedule for him, for us, for him to join us for on the sure. podcast today. Uh, as always, I want to make sure we extend a special thanks to our loyal listeners and, and viewers. Um, if you're a fan of the video version of the podcast, uh, we certainly uh, uh, politely request that you uh, subscribe to our new YouTube channel uh, where you can see all past and uh, uh, present uh, episodes. Uh, or if you're someone who prefers the audio version, please do subscribe on your preferred podcasting platform. And if you feel so inclined, please do leave a rating or review, positive or negative. Any feedback is always appreciated. Uh, But until next time, be well and be safe. And we look forward again to entertaining you and hopefully educating you on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. We'll see you next week.